Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Sports Today. Hour number two on FST. And we got the Raiders and Jets uh, beat reporters coming up. So excited about that. But we'll kick it off with some other stories. A big story, George, in the football world is Patrick Peterson's suspension. I was on the course yesterday when I saw that news. And as soon as I saw Patrick Peterson thing, I, I, as, as I'm clicking on the breaking news alert, I'm ready to think. I'm ready to say uh, he's requesting a trade, right? That's the first thing I thought. And then when I clicked on it and it was a six-game suspension, that was stunning to me. Uh, I just, I guess I should never really be surprised by that kind of stuff. It's just when I had decided already in my head what this story was going to be, I'm surprised that he's going to go down here. I mean, he's one obviously one of the best corners in the league. He is built, he has built a Hall of Fame level career and now he's down for six games. So it's a blow to the Cardinals team that's obviously in need of some veteran leadership and guys that will help them uh, move out of the cellar in the West. I don't think they're moving out of that cellar anytime soon. Uh-huh. Uh, good luck right. to you there. Uh, <laughs> this This has to hurt, right? I mean, Peterson... Maybe your biggest leader on the team after Larry Fitzgerald on offense. I, mean, I know yeah. Terrell Suggs is there too, but it's his first year there, so I don't know how much of a leader he can actually be. So, uh, like I said, if I didn't know about the story, sure, I would have thought first thing, uh, Patrick Peterson in the news, all right, he's either either he's traded or he's demanding a trade. It's the first thing I would have thought of. And I still think this might happen because now I can see a contending team. I mean, there are more trades in the NFL by the deadline now. I can see a contending team going, well, no, I don't think I have to worry about 10 games now. I only have to pay him for 10. Maybe I can fit that under the salary cap a little better. You know, so I could see that happening sometime in uh, late September, October. He's close to playing. Maybe a contending team loses a cornerback. You know, they can they have the money where they can fit Peterson under. That's always the key. Can you fit Peterson under? You know, and uh, that obviously a lot of teams won't be able to do that. You know, Cowboys can't do it. Rams would be very tough. But he'll have some suitors here. And I, I just wonder at this point, Mike, if the Cardinals have to go, all right, enough's enough. You know, uh, we know Peterson would, lo- would like to go regardless of what he says. We're not going to compete for a couple of years. Why not get what we can get for him? You know, which, which you would think would be a pretty good price. for Even even with the suspension, it would still be a pretty good price. And you can make an argument, by the way, that also, you know, it's better now. Because they, now, listen, the NFL teams, they knew something was up here. Peterson knew what was going on here. You think it was any coincidence he had his charity thing the same day the suspension was announced? This is all planned. He knew when it was going to be announced. So they could Yeah, but he's saying he's saying that the plan was to announce it next week after the event. Yeah, bullcrap. 
All right. That that this is well. How does it help are. him? I'm I'm missing your your point. I, how does that help him to Be, have it on the same? Because day? he uh, what are we talking he about? Got to more? promote it. Yeah, he got to promote it. Still got to promote the charity. This this is all planned, all planned. But what I'm, my point was, it's not so much about that. My point is that other teams knew something was going on too. They knew he was something. Something was getting suspended. He was getting suspended. Now they know. All right, it's six games. We know now. You know, it's not like they have to worry into September. All right, how many games are you going to get? Four, six, eight. You know what? What's going on here? So I think that helps uh, other teams as well. They have a, a definitive. All right, he's suspended six. He'll be around for the next ten. I think that helps the cause as well. And his contract, so he's signed through next season, through 2020. There's actually not a lot of dead money on this contract. You could get out of it now, and there wouldn't be a lot of dead money. Uh, But certainly somebody can make a trade for him, George, try him out for those 10 games. And if they're happy with the production and him being part of the team, wanting to be part of the team long term, and why wouldn't you want an asset like that, then they can keep him around. But if they try him out after 10 games, they're like, you know what? That twelve million dollar, that thirteen million dollar cap number for next year is too much for us at that position. We're going to move on. You can cut him, and you'll only owe him like seven hundred grand, at least according to the numbers I see via over the cap. He is now at a point in his contract where it isn't going to be terribly expensive to cut him. It's expensive to have him, but you won't have to be dealing with a lot of dead money if you were to release him, uh, whether you're the Cardinals or another team. Well, you already said he's one of the best corners in the game. And that's yeah. not going to change in, uh, just because he's missing six games. So I don't think yeah. anybody would be unhappy. He's not known as, as a disruptor. You know, Bill Beckham type, someone that pisses people off. He's not known as that. So I don't. He's only 28. I assume. He's only like, it's a little old, but not terrible. You know, no. it's not even middle age for a player yet. I think uh, any team would be happy to get him this year and next. In fact, I can see an extension being part of this. I think the only way that it wouldn't work out is if wherever Peterson goes to, he doesn't want to be there. You know, uh, which I don't know where, where he wants to be or where he doesn't. But I think that's the only way it wouldn't work out. He's like, oh, really? This is the team that acquired me? That sort of thing. But I think Peterson, although we, he truly hasn't come out and said it, I think he wants out. I think the Cardinals should, should truly think about it. The Cardinals are a couple of years away minimum. I know in the NFL you can change things around quickly. This team has some work to do. And by the time you do become good, now he's post-30. Why not get some uh, additional assets now? I'm not saying you trade him for anything if the offers aren't there, but why not test the waters? See if someone's willing to give up a one or a decent player or a one and a decent player, whatever it might be. Uh, I, I think you test the waters with Peterson. Uh, I think you could too. And to your point about the Cardinals, I think what they tried to do through the draft is gain as much young talent as they could. They did have a lot of draft picks. They spent a lot of it on offense. Kyler Murray, obviously, number one. in Andy Isabella in the second round. Hakeem Butler in the fourth round. Keyshawn Johnson, K-E-E-S-E-A-N Johnson, in the sixth round. A couple of, They went with a couple of offensive linemen in the late rounds. Now, here's what I'll tell you. is still a problem for this team. The offensive line is not fixed. It was terrible last year. It created problems for everybody, especially Josh Rosen, but also David Johnson, who finished as the ninth running back in fantasy, but on a per-game basis, he really wasn't providing you much. He had a Frank Gore-esque season where he was consistent but didn't have any big games to carry you week to week. It's what you want when you draft David Johnson. Is that fair to say? Oh, I agree. I agree. Right. Um, defensively, they picked Zach Allen, who I know well. Uh, he's the third, first pick of the third round, who I know well because he played at BC, and he's a really great – I think he'll be a very good pro. 
uh, Byron Murphy, the corner in the second round. Uh, I think he was the first pick of the second round, so they have a corner there. They acquired through the draft one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine new players. Ten, excuse me. So they drafted ten guys. This roster has a lot more turnover to go. The offensive line isn't fixed. They signed Terrell Suggs, which you're getting a year out of him, right? I don't really know what that does for the team. But to your point, I think you got to test the waters with some of those guys. I think you need to continue to turn over this roster. You have to give Cliff Kingsbury time to get this in order. He can get the offense in order. Defense isn't his thing. It wasn't in college. It won't be now. So you got to let somebody in there, get their players in there. I think Suggs is a stopgap guy for a positional need. And Chandler Jones is like the one big-time player uh, other than Peterson they have on this defense. Buda Baker, a younger player there on defense who has seen good reviews in the NFL through his first couple of seasons. But beyond that, I'm with you. I think you just got to keep turning this thing over, especially considering the division you're in. Because the Hawks and the Niners and the Rams are all much better on paper. Once again, I, I agree. I think everything you said is correct. I think when it comes down to the, uh, the Cardinals, they're, they're years away. Uh, you drafted Murray. And listen, I don't, I don't have any problem with drafting Murray. Uh, my thought Same. is you have to keep drafting quarterbacks until you think you got the right one. Not that Rosen. Rosen may end up turning to be a fine pro. But if you truly believe that Murray is that franchise quarterback, then you have to do what you have to do. I think the NFL has proven over and over again. It's a quarterback-driven league. If you have one, you have a shot. If you do not, you don't. It's really that simple for me. So I don't have a problem with them doing that. But it's going to take time. right? You're going to lose Fitzgerald, I would assume, after this year. Although I thought after last year as well. I think I might have thought the year before that too. He keeps hanging on. But you're going to lose him. So you still need more offensive weapons. You're 100% correct about the offensive line. That's terrible. The Suggs deal really made no sense to me, by the way. I don't know why Suggs would want to go. Outside of the money, why he'd want to go there. That's just a money play. if this was baseball, that's what it is. But if this was baseball or hockey, I would look at Suggs as, all right, he, they, they signed him just to trade him for draft picks at the uh, deadline, deadline, like you see in baseball, you see in hockey. These players yeah. that get signed, they, they know they're dealing them uh, for future picks. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to happen with Suggs. I uh, tend to have my doubts that he'll be moved there. So I don't understand that, uh, only that logic bucks. there at all. It, it is. I'm just surprised. Bottom line is this. We keep going back to this. They're a team that it's, they're rebuilding and I think their rebuild is going to be a little longer than other teams. Uh, so if I'm, like I said, I'm I'm checking on Peter. I'm not saying you deal him for anything, Mike. Where you take the best over you can get. If your best over is a fourth round pick, no. Okay, you keep him. You know, but if you get some legitimately good good offers, which listen during the season you will. There'll be injuries, and people realize Patrick Peterson's coming back. We can get Patrick Peterson. We can fit him onto the camp. You mentioned he's what twelve, thirteen million. Uh, the dead money's not terrible if you do release him, but I don't even think that's a consideration because I don't think you're going to do that. Twelve, thirteen million is not terrible for next year. You should be able to work that in. I think there'll be I think there'll be a lot of interest there if they let it be known that yes, we are willing to move him if the price is right. All right, uh, moving on to a different team, the Vikings. Talks between the Vikings and tight end. This is according to Pro Football Talk, and it is Mike Florio. Talks between Vikings and tight end Kyle Rudolph on a potential contract extension aren't dead, but they currently aren't going anywhere. So they've not ended talks, but the two sides aren't making progress. They have offered Rudolph a five-year extension, which would give him a new money average among the highest-paid tight ends in the league. That extension would also presumably reduce 
Rudolph's current cap number of seven point six million. So they did not ask him to take a pay cut in twenty eighteen, or rather in twenty nineteen, the final year of his current deal. So I think now this makes a little bit more sense, this story, based on what we heard basically during the draft. This we were hearing, well, they drafted Irv Smith, so they're shopping Rudolph. When really the reality is they can't come to an ex- they can't come to terms, so that's why they're dealing him. Let's get something for him now, where he's locked in at a certain number. We'll draft a rookie and move on. But if they're working on this extension, that obviously means that they're planning to have both of these tight ends long term. It just seems that maybe that was a leverage play by the Vikings to say, well, hey, if you don't want to sign the extension we have in front of you, we'll just trade you wherever. Once again, I think, I think that's exactly what it was. It was more about leverage. They're covering their ass, too, by the way, in case they couldn't get a deal done. We still got to tie it. You know, I think, it's, I think that's what it was. Rudolph, I'm sure they would like to get Rudolph signed at a, a price that's reasonable. But if he wants astronomical numbers, I think they will want to move on. I do. So I think that's what's going to oh, what's what's going to happen here. They know they're. I don't want to say. Listen, we don't know what Aerosmith is going to be. You don't know what any rookie is going to be. We think he's going to be good, but you don't know. Not until they get on the field, and start playing games here. But they probably feel okay. Yeah, we made the move where we should be okay. If Rudolph's gone, we have somebody. We're not barren. We're not. We're not going to be scrambling that sort of thing. Tight ends a difficult position to learn. Though, the passing routes, blocking's blocking. But the passing routes in the, uh, can be difficult. The combinations, knowing where you have to be, getting obviously chemistry with Kirk Cousins, that can be difficult. But I think the Vikings are in a good spot here. If, uh, if Rudolph wants too much money or uh, just he's blowing the cap off, I, I'd let him walk as well. Yeah, it's weird. He's not even the top 10 players uh, on the team from a cap standpoint. He's 11th. So <clears throat> if I'm being honest, like he, he's right there. But they clearly want a lower number there. How about from a fantasy standpoint? Rudolph was actually pretty good last year. The position, I say this every year, is a complete mess. People are always trying to figure out the next tight end that's going to help you. And I don't pay for any of them in drafts, George. Very rarely. I took a shot at Gronk in a, in a difficult league last year, and it didn't work out. But honestly, if now you don't have Kittle or Ertz or Kelsey, you're just kind of guessing. Rudolph is one of the few solid guys. He's like the new Greg Olson. Olson was actually really good at his highest heights, but where you can get him in the mid-rounds and he'll provide you some stability and honestly don't expect too much out of him, but he's a good guy to have. I, I'm kind of taking a look at Irv Smith in some of these rookie-type drafts and dynasty drafts because I just thought maybe they were moving on from Rudolph, and Cousins does like to throw to the tight end. So from a fantasy standpoint... That's going to be something to figure out. I don't expect anything out of a rookie tight end ever, which Irv Smith would be. But long term, maybe there's something there for Irv Smith if you're hesitant about Kyle Rudolph long term with the Vikings. Well, to your point, I mean, uh, what you said is 100 percent correct. Kelsey Ertz Kittle, right? If you if you have one of those, you're golden. But you're going to have to spend. I mean, I've seen Kelsey go uh, the second round in drafts. Early, well, I was once in these very early that. drafts. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that either. I'm, you, and I have this, you and I have the same philosophy. I wait forever on tight ends. But you got Kelsey's round QB two. QB tight end. Round or two later. I, I, QB and tight end, I, I don't care if I get any in single-digit rounds. That's my approach. I'm, I'm with you. You get no argument from me. Uh, I wait on Q, uh, quarterbacks as well. After the, the big three, I mean, uh, who, who's number four? Uh, Hunter Henry? All right, back off ACL. Good luck. 
You know, might, might, might hit it big, that. might not. Uh, Evan Ingram, okay, what if Daniel Jones takes over in week six? Who knows? I like Ingram as well. I do. But I don't know what's going to happen with that Giants offense. Eric Ebron, can he do it again with Andrew Luck? Uh, I don't know. Well, maybe. Jack Doyle's coming back. Yeah. Jack, well, Jack Doyle was back for a part last year. Uh, but that's a problem as I'm well. I'm saying he was Jared banged Cook. up so much last year, like maybe a healthy Jack Doyle would cut into Ebron a lot. Uh, Jack uh, Jared Cook signs at New Orleans. Okay, that could work. Maybe yes, maybe no. We've seen tight ends pretty much be 50-50. With, uh, with Drew Brees. Uh, O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard's someone I do like a lot. And I think Bruce Arians in that offense could be dangerous, but who knows with Winston. Yeah, you don't know you can trust him. Vance McDonald, Austin Hooper. These are, these guys are in the top 10. Well, I'm, I'm not yep. going into the 15 range here. I'm going into the top 10. So tight end is a mess. McDonald, Hooper, Delani Walker. Can he rebound after the injury? The joke was another there's guy. There's a lot of mouth feed, the mouths to feed in Cleveland yeah. now. I know the offense will be better, but there's a lot of mouths to feed. Odell Beckham showed up. Can Jordan Reed uh, stay healthy for more than you know a no. game and a half in a row? Uh, so it, it's a mess. So to your point, it's a mess. Jimmy Graham's not. We haven't even talked about him yet because he's been a disaster. Early, it's uh, the injury he had with uh, New Orleans that just killed his career there. But uh, a tight end is a mess. I understand why people are spending that top pick on a tight end. I get it because you get one of the top three. You're coming out here, but I still can't do it. Yeah, <clears throat> there's too much other value. There, I, I, you and I have talked about this before. Whenever I do this, I don't like the way my team ends up. I actually, the team that I drafted Gronk this year, I love the team, and we were in first place for a long time, but we got key injuries and we got nothing out of Gronk, and it murdered us. Now, who knows what we would have had otherwise. We took a shot. It didn't work out, but we had a really good team outside of that. Um, but we'll see. You know, that's why I was talking about Irv Smith, I think. Kyle Rudolph finishes a seventh tight end last year, and if he's off the team, there's a gap there. Helps Diggs and Thielen, I'll tell you that much. We're coming back with Mo Boat and a Bleacher Report. We're going to talk Raiders right after this. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Radio Network, FST with Mike and George. By the way, you can find George on Twitter at George Kurtz. I'm at Mike Blewett. But go to FN, at FNTSY Radio to find uh, everything that we've talked about today. We'll put it out there. And we'll be putting this interview out here uh, right after we speak to him. And uh, I'm happy to welcome back on the show Maurice Moten. He's a breaking news team analyst, NFL featured columnist, and live stream writer at Bleacher Report. I know you covered a lot on draft night, Mo, and you do also cover the Raiders a lot. You can find him on Twitter at Mo Moton, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. So, Mo, good to have you back on, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Appreciate you having me back on. Uh, just, watch, yeah. just following a lot of the action, it's, it's amazing what goes on after the draft. I know you talked yeah. about me covering the draft, but it's amazing yeah. what goes on after the draft with some of these teams. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, clearly. And we got Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News on after this, and we're going to talk to him about the Jets. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but in terms of the Raiders, I, here's my first thought. Well, the first thing that surprised me about them is that I actually thought they were going to be on the move with some of those picks. But they stayed home. They shocked people by taking Farrell, whom I like a lot as a player. And then they have Jacobs and Abram in there. So they're picking solid, impactful players at several positions. They made many free agent signings, high-profile ones. Antonio Brown, Terrell Williams, uh, Trent Brown. They brought in Vontaze Perfect. And, but I still look at the roster, and I feel like they probably feel like they're still going to be turning guys over. Do you get the same impression that they're still, they still have wood to chop to turn this roster over? Yeah, absolutely get that feeling. Um, I, I actually think they're going to bring in a veteran safety. I, I still think they need a guy who can uh, play deep coverage. I know they brought in LaMarcus Joyner, but they're talking about using him as the slot cornerback. Uh, Jonathan Abram, who they drafted, is, isn't really a deep safety, but he can play. He can shadow tight ends, and then and then you have a guy like a Curtis Riley, who who is a deep safety from the Giants, but he had trouble tackling last year. He I missed about, at least about I would say more uh, 20, 20 uh, tackles. So I think you need a guy in the backfield who can erase some drives, uh, cover deep, take away the deep ball, especially when you're in division with the Chiefs and the Chargers who have uh, pretty good uh, passing games, assuming Tyreek Hill is back on the field for the Chiefs. Uh, defensive end is another position. I know they have a match of Cleveland Farrell on one side. On the other side, it's a little bit of a question mark because Arden Key, I believe, is going to be a rotational pass rusher. Gunther alluded to it, that he would have the same role they had last year when they drafted him, when they had Khalil Mack and Bruce Irvin on that defensive line. So, I still think they're going to get a veteran defensive end or safety and uh, try to fill out that defense. As far as the offense, though, I think they're pretty set, except for at left guard. Sends up a bit right now in the front run at that position, but you know, as you know, they've been uh, thinking about bringing in Richie Incognito. They're worried. They're wor- worried about him being suspended by the league, so that's why I, that's pretty much at a standstill right now. But if he isn't in for a long suspension, he could come in and start at left guard right away. Mo, uh, you know, Mike and I just participated in a uh, dynasty rookie draft. Uh, I know Josh Jacobs in my half went uh, first overall pick. I, I don't think he did Mike's uh, part, but he went number he went two second. overall. Nikhil Harry he went, went second, second right. went first, yeah. That was a bad pick by your your half, by the way. Uh, <laughs> what uh, what can we expect out of Jacobs? Do you think he's going to be uh, the three-down guy right away? Does he have to prove himself? Any chance Martin's going to steal carries or somebody else? What's going to go on with Josh Jacobs? He better be the three-down guy. If you pick, if you pick a, to me, this is my philosophy. If you're taking a running back in the first round, he should be your three-down back because there's no other reason why you would pick a running back in the first round. When you see all this, uh, all these running backs having success in the third, fourth round, some of them undrafted. So I, I feel like Josh Jacobs will be a three-down back as soon as he hits the field. It's just a matter of what his production going to be like. I don't think he's going to reach a thousand yards. I would put I will put my projection at about eight hundred fifty to nine hundred yards. John Gruden likes to spread his touches out among his running backs. Uh, he's been a head coach for twelve years, and only two running backs have reached a thousand yards under his tenure. That's Tyrone Weaving in two thousand and Cadillac Williams in two thousand five. So I'm not high on Josh Jacobs reaching the thousand yard mark, but he will be the lead ball carrier in the fact that he should be. So the two high-profile wide receiver acquisitions were Brown and Terrell Williams. When you look at the depth chart, 
it isn't particularly deep with accomplished players. Marcel Aitman obviously played a lot at the end of last year. They have J.J. Nelson, a, a burner. Ryan Grant they took in from Indianapolis. But, and I think probably a favorite of both Gruden and Mayox is Hunter Renfro from Clemson. So he joins his teammate, Cleland Farrell. Do you think that Renfro is a guy that I don't ha- you can never from a fantasy standpoint or from an NFL standpoint have particularly high expectations for rookie wide receivers. But do you think Renfro is somebody that they're looking at to be on the field a lot in year one? I believe so. I, I actually had Renfro as a surprise late round contributor. I, I had a projection for him of about 400 yards and four touchdowns because if Derek Carr is under pressure, I know they brought in Trent Brown. I don't think he's going to be the same player he was in New England under Dante Scarnecchia. I think Carr is going to be still – he's going to still be under some pressure there because Colt Miller has to develop too. And as I mentioned, there's a question mark at left guard. When you have a guy like Hunter Renfro who can, who can release off the line of scrimmage really quick and, and kind of get open, Carr, I believe, will look to him a lot for quick passes because a lot of people criticize him being a check down guy. I think he'll go down and feel a lot more this season. But if he's under duress, I think Hunter Renfro is your guy. He's going to get a lot of those quick passes out of the slot. He will move around because Gruden likes these guys to know all the positions at wide receiver. But I think he's the guy, he's the quick strike option there. And I think 400 yards for touchdowns is not far-fetched for him this year. All right, speaking of the passing offense, uh, go two directions here. What what do you expect out of Carr this year? Can he make a big jump? He's got Antonio Brown now, right? We think Josh Jacobs is going to be a, uh, a solid running back there. So they'll have a sort of a dual threat there. What can we make of Carr, and what do you expect of Brown? I know listen, we can't expect him to be the kind of wide receiver he was with Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. I think that's unfair. But uh, what do you expect of Brown with Carr under Gruden in Oakland? I actually think Antonio Brown is going to be fine there. Um, I, I, I feel like you can pencil him in for 1,200 yards, eight or nine touchdowns there, even though he's just coming in there fresh. But this is a guy that likes his targets, and I believe the Raiders invested in him invest all that money in him, they want to they wanna actually use him. So this is a guy that usually gets, you know, over 100 targets, and his best year is 130 targets. So I think 1,200 yards, 89 touchdowns is fair for him, even in his first year in a new offense. Now with Derek Carr, Derek Carr has never been a guy who's a volume passer. What I mean by that, last year was the first year he threw for over 4,000 yards. He's barely over 4,049 yards. And I think that Green likes to run the ball, so it's going to balance itself out. So I wouldn't expect huge numbers from Carr, even with Brown. I would say 32, 33 touchdowns is fair for Carr. He usually keeps his interceptions down. He started slow this year, but only wound up with 10 picks. He's not going to take a lot of chances. He will take some chances, but not a lot. Uh, He's never had more than 13 13 picks. So 33 touchdown passes, 10, 11 picks seems fair for Carr. In this passing league, 4,100 yards seems fair for him as well. But I think Carr and Brown will be fine. I wouldn't expect astronomical numbers. But, again, I think they'll both be uh, pretty productive this year. Uh, I, I guess one you know, one of the other free agency signings that they, they did make a big splash was, was signing Trent Brown from uh, the Patriots. But now he slotted in at right tackle. Colton Miller, the first-round draft pick at left tackle. Uh, I think it surprised some because Trent Brown played left tackle for the Super Bowl champs, but they feel comfortable having Miller stay there long-term at left tackle, and they just feel really good about the bookends in front of Carr now, correct? Yeah, they do, and absolutely. And I think uh, Vic Tafer, uh, who was a beat writer for the Raiders at the Athletic, mentioned that 
Trent Brown would be the right tackle there. A lot of people didn't think so because he's the highest paid offensive lineman, you know, in the league right now. And I, I think the Raiders, they're, they're not conventional ever. So they're going to do That's things true. that can make you, <laughs> they can, they're going to do things that make you scratch your head a little bit. But I totally get it with the rookie Colton Miller. Well, now he's going to his second year. You, you kind of don't want him to learn a new position. He did. He did have an injury last year, which which contributed to his struggles. But if he started all all last year at left tackle, you kind of want to keep that continuity there, so he doesn't have to learn a new position and potentially put Carr in danger. So I definitely get it, being that Trent Brown does have experience at right tackle. He played right tackle in San Francisco, but he was a pretty much an average player before he moved to left tackle in New England. So I get the idea of moving him to to right tackle. My problem with the Raiders' offensive line is Tom Cable. I, I don't trust Tom Cable. He doesn't have a good track record for protecting his quarterback, even dated back to Seattle, his Seattle days with Russell Wilson. So we'll see how this works out with Trent Brown. Again, as I said at the beginning of the show, I don't think Trent Brown can be the same player he was in New England, in Oakland. In that rookie draft I mentioned earlier, one of the top uh, safeties off the board was Jonathan Abram. Uh, I guess, quick question, what can we expect out of the rookie this year from strong safety? Yeah, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to either lead the Raiders in tackles or be the top two, one of the top two, three guys. Uh, this is a guy who goes out there and he brings a ton of energy. He's going to hit guys. Uh, I think he also has the ability to shadow tight ends. So he, he, he'll have some chances at interceptions, but I don't see him as a high-coverage guy where he's going to rack up three, four picks. I, again, I see him at about 65, 70 tackles. Uh, again, he, he's going to have some pass breakups, but I don't see him as a high interception guy on the back end. So I, I guess another important note that I'd like to hear from you is now I have to, I'm obliged to say that uh, I'm a big fan of Mike Mayock because he went to Boston College and I went to Boston College. So <laughs> I have to say that. Um, how has do you think this group, this duo, been received by fans? Gruden, I think he's always going to be a divisive guy on some level. He got rid of a lot of players, and you could tell that he was seizing control. But he obviously brought somebody in or was responsible for helping to bring somebody in in Mike Mayock, that, whose opinion he trusts. They seem to be working well together. Uh, they picked a whole bunch of players together that they're obviously happy with at the moment and signed players that they're happy with. So how do you think Raider Nation is receiving the work that Mike Mayock has done really here in the last few months? I think they're uh, really optimistic about it. Uh, from the minute they brought him in the door, they said, well, this is this is, would be the draft to bring him in. When the Raiders have these three first-round picks, you know, what? how much better can you do than bring in a draft who is going to be there and, and break down these players? And he's been doing it, you know, it seems like forever. And, you know, he's just been doing it on TV. Now he gets to do it for a specific team and help and help that team, that franchise out. So I think when the Raiders brought in uh, Mike Mayock, the fan base, from what I understand from my timeline, was pretty psyched about it. And I think they felt the optimism there. There was some distrust in Gruden because, of course, uh, under his tenure, they traded away Mack, traded away Cooper. Uh, the team didn't play so well. But once they brought in Mayock, they said, well, as long as Gruden listens to Mayock and allows him to make some decisions, then the Reds will be fine. And I think you've heard that in, in media circles, too. A lot of media people have praised the Raiders' uh, draft class and how he's trying to change the culture, and they actually saw what the Raiders were trying to do, bringing in Cleveland Farrell, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, Trayvon Mullen, their second-round pick, all from winning programs, Clemson and Alabama. 
So I think the culture change and the message that he's trying to send is actually going over well with the fans. Now it's a matter of the coaching staff getting these guys developed and getting them to produce on the field. All right. Prediction time. How do the Raiders <laughs> do this year? Oh, man. I know Raiders fans are, are not going to be happy to hear this, but I, I feel like they're going to be a 5-11 team. And it's not because the team is not going in the right direction, but they have a brutal schedule. I believe that they don't have a home game between week two and nine. Uh, it's still a young team. They had 13 sacks last year, and, and their defensive ends aren't established yet. Cleveland Farrell, I think he'll be fine. I think he gets six sacks, but he is still a rookie, so there's a learning curve there. Arden Key, as I said, is going to be a situational pass rusher, and that defensive end position is still a question mark. If you cannot rush the passer, you're going to have some issues if you don't have elite cornerbacks. I know Garrett Conley took a big major step last year, but he it's just him. If Trayvon Mellon was in position, you have a rookie on the back end there. So it's a young team with a tough schedule. So I think it's a lot to ask if, if, if you're thinking they're going to go 9-7 and seven or compete for a playoff spot. It would be a major surprise. I think 5-11 is going to be their record. But, of course, the progress is what you look for with a team that's rebuilding. I think they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, to Mo's point, again, this is Mo Moten from Bleacher Report. It's at Mo Moten, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. It's Broncos Chiefs opening at home, then at Minnesota, at Indianapolis. They have the Bears a bye week at Green Bay, at Houston. Then it's week Yikes. nine. That's really tough. And, Mo, you've always been honest about where you think the Raiders are going. I think they've added a bunch of good players, but – they ain't there yet, and they're playing. Uh, they're playing in a division, and that's they haven't even played the Chargers. What I just ripped off, which might be the best team in the AFC. I think the Chiefs can take a step back, Denver a step forward, and the Raiders are having to deal with all of that with a lot of new players and everything else. So I appreciate the honesty and, and the information. Good stuff today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And of course, if you need me for anything Raiders or you want to talk about the dysfunctional Jets, I'm here for that too. We got plenty of time for the Jets, and I know we'll have you back to talk about it. And I guarantee there's three or four more things to talk about regarding the the Jets the next time we talk. So uh, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon, Mo. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So uh, that's it uh, from Mo Moten uh, at Bleacher Report. He he did a really good breakdown of the Raiders right there. And, and George, I, I think he, he, with all the information that he highlighted, I think him being – brutally honest about this schedule does tell you where they could have some pitfalls early in this season. They would surprise people, I think, if they came out of those first eight games at 500. Oh, I'd, I'd be shocked if they came out of the first eight games at 500. It, it's right. a brutal schedule. It's tough. This is the most important thing, and Mo said this, are they heading in the right direction? Sometimes, you know, the, uh, your, your record is not going to indicate that you're heading in the right direction. I think this could be one of those seasons. I think the yeah. Raiders are getting better. They're certainly not the laughing stock they were last year. But I'm not so sure the record is going to be all that great to, uh, you know, to, to really show that. 5-11 and 11 sounds about right to me. I think I had them 6-10, so I was right there with them. And uh, the, yeah. the schedule was brutal. You know, the only question I didn't ask him, which I, I really should have, uh, because I've been banging this drum, I guess I've taken a back seat to it because of what they did in the draft. But I was not of the opinion that Derek Carr was going to be their quarterback by the time they moved to Vegas, their starting quarterback. I still don't know if I believe it, but they certainly this year put up pieces around him to try to make him more successful. Will they be? Will 5-11 and 11 turn people off? Will it be Carr's fault? All that kind of stuff. You and I can talk about it at length later, but I probably should have thrown that out to him. Um, 
they are obviously committed to Carr for this year. They added pieces for him, George. Yeah, we thought they might go in a different direction. I was there with you, but they didn't. I think he gets a, a one year. But once again, they could be 5-11, and 11 and he could have a big year. That wouldn't shock me. I agree. I agree. We're going to come back. Manish Mehta from New York Daily News after the break. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Back on FST, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. We just had Mo Moten on uh, from, from Bleacher Report talking about the Raiders. And we're going to welcome in Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News. You can find him on Twitter at mmehta, M-E-H-T-A-N-Y-D-N. And Manish, first of all, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time this morning. Thanks for having me on, guys. So... Interesting week. I, I think, uh, <laughs> as as many people ha- have said, it was the ultimate hold my beer moment. Uh, the Knicks had just lost the lottery. The Giants are getting hammered for Daniel Jones and a variety of other things. And the Jets decide after the draft and after a windfall of spend expenditure on various free agents, let's move on from the GM. So you did an excellent job breaking this down on the Daily News in an article yesterday, which can be found in your Twitter timeline. Uh, and I'll tweet it out as well. I, I can ask a thousand questions, but the first one I have to ask is, can a football team be successful if the CEO does not know what he's doing? Well, in the long term, no, I don't think they can. If you just look at it in a vacuum for 2019, I, I don't believe that Mike McCagnan's firing is going to really have a, a significant impact on what you're going to see on the field this year. But in terms of long-term vision, strategy, uh, absolutely. If you don't have stability at the top of your organization, you're never ultimately going to be successful. Because if you look at the, you know, the most successful organizations, not only in the NFL but in pro sports, they have, uh, you know, top-down, uh, you know, a, a top-down formula that works, and that means the owner, general manager, head coach, you know, those three really have to be solid. And, and again, it, it starts with the guy who signs the checks. So, Manish, as far as the, they say they're going to hire a GM, will this, will this just be a yes man to Adam Gase? Will it be someone with authority of his own? How do you expect the structure to work? Well, you know, according to Christopher Johnson, the, the reporting structure is going to be exactly the same, it, which means that the general manager is going to have a direct line to the owner, and the head coach is not going to report directly to the general manager. He also will have a direct line to the owner, which creates some inherent issues. I, I didn't agree with that setup when that was put in place when Woody Johnson was still here before he took over as the UK ambassador a couple years ago. I, I don't agree with that uh, strategy now, but uh, that, that's what the Johnson want, brothers want to do. So in terms of whether this new general manager is going to be a yes man, I think it's fair to say that Adam Gase is going to handpick this guy. Uh, and ultimately, Christopher Johnson is going to sign off on it. 
But, uh, you know, if you're being practical uh, and real about the situation, this is going to be a guy that Gase feels comfortable with. And even though they're technically, you know, on the same level, I think you'd be naive to to think that Gase doesn't have more control and more power uh, inside that building right now. Yeah, I I think we saw a dynamic in Miami where that happened as well. Even though he had success in his first season in Miami, it was clear he was trying desperately to turn that roster over. It's actually why I, probably less so than some other people, have, have bashed the Gase hiring. I thought he got caught in a turnover, and maybe it was of his own doing, a roster turnover in Miami where the talent was sort of being depleted. Now, they've signed a bunch of guys here. Uh, that have improved the talent on the team. So he walks into that. Hopefully he'll be happy with some of the players he's had. But I thought the, the one part of your story that I thought was was key was that you said here, Gase had a small window to seize control. If the Jets were in playoff conversation in 2019, he'd be tied to McCagnan that he learned was not a good fit for him. And if they stunk, then he'd lose the juice that he has with the owner right now. So this was really his only opportunity to make this move, Yes. Yeah, I think that's how he viewed it. Uh, you know, from his vantage point, I, I think it makes sense. You know, just from a human standpoint, I don't think it necessarily was the right, the ethical thing to do. But that's probably a different conversation for a different time. But from his point of view, uh, you know, he he has a lot of clout with this owner right now. He's zero and zero, right? He hasn't lost a game yet. Uh, he's the toast of, the, of that building. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of fire. And clearly there were some shortcomings that uh, the owner knew about the general manager, and he had some reservations. There were people in that building that wanted to fire Mike McCagnan uh, along with Todd Bowles after the season. And Christopher Johnson, by nature, is a, a glass-half-full type of guy. He was also fully aware that he was not prepared to lead a GM and a head coaching search. So that Mike McCagnan and Brian Heimerdinger were the two best people to help in that search and uh, you know every bit of information that I have now is that Christopher Johnson was aware of these shortcomings that McCagnan had but he was also optimistic and hopeful and, and obviously naive uh, thinking that he could uh, you know, the general manager could could change could improve that clearly didn't happen to Johnson's satisfaction and then ultimately Adam Gase seized on that opportunity saw some of those shortcomings and uh, you know for lack of a better phrase took advantage of the situation to seize control Jets, always fun. They, they give us good stuff to talk about, though, so I, I love the Jets. All right, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, apparently, Gase didn't want him. Uh, who who's, who was decision was it to sign Bell? Was it ownership? Was it Johnson? Was it uh, the GM? And what do you expect to happen? Schefter brought up the possibility yesterday that Bell could be traded, which would just be wild for a guy who's never played a down for the team. So who uh, whose decision was it to sign Bell, and what do you think happens here? Okay, well, this is what happened with Le'Veon Bell. I know there's a million different stories floating around. This is actually what happened. Uh, Adam Gase did not want Le'Veon Bell. He does not believe he needs that type of player at that position in his offense. Uh, if you look at his history, it, you can clearly see he likes to rotate running backs. There hasn't been a star guy. I think probably the, the guy, the two guys that stand out in the backfield uh, for him uh, in his career were Jay Ajayi, who he shipped off, and uh, no Sean Moreno. So we're not talking about superstar players here. He did not believe that he needed Le'Veon Bell. He did not want Le'Veon Bell. However, the owner wanted Le'Veon Bell, and the general manager was fully aware that the owner wanted Le'Veon Bell. So uh, you know, by proxy, the general manager wanted Le'Veon Bell. But the, the genesis of it was that the owner wanted Le'Veon Bell. And if you're Adam Gase, who just got hired, at that point, even though you don't want Bell, you, said you're, you, know, you say to your people, okay, well, let, 
you know, if we can get him, get him, uh, you know, at the right price. I don't want to pay a lot of money, not only for Le'Veon Bell, but I don't want to pay a lot of money for anybody who plays running back because, again, I don't need that position to have a successful offense. So, you know, that gets twisted a lot uh, and has gotten twisted a lot in the last 48 hours. There's a lot of spin out there about how, well, he loved Le'Veon Bell, but he didn't want to pay him a lot of money. No, that was only after he realized that Le'Veon Bell was coming, whether he liked it or not, because his preference was that he did not want Bell. But if he was going to have to have him, he would take him on a discounted. But he's also a smart guy, and he knew that Le'Veon Bell wasn't going to come at a cheap rate. So in essence, he was saying the same thing in a different way. I don't want Le'Veon Bell. And at the end of the day, what's ironic is that the Jets actually got a relatively good deal for him, $14 million a year over two years. It's a, you know, it's a, uh, it's a multi-year deal beyond that, but the reality is that the real money is two years for $20 million. So that's $14 million in 2019, $14 million in 2020, which is a pretty good price. And you, you probably figured before free agency, the absolute floor for Bell was going to be in the you know, $12, $13 million range, the ceiling maybe $16 million. So, uh, so Gase knew exactly what the range was going to be. And now – uh, now that it's out there, uh, you know. Now that the truth is out there, he'll do some damage control. He'll say whatever he needs to say to the player to get in good graces with the player. He's actually pretty good at that, you know. Not across the board, but by and large, he's very good at dealing with players on a one-on-one basis. As far as Le'Veon Bell goes, you know, he's got a lot to prove. Not playing last year, I don't think the the fact that the owner, I mean, that that the head coach on him is going to really impact how he performs on the field. Uh, I I never want to say never because I, you know I've been misled in the past recently, but I would be shocked, frankly, if Le'Veon Bell was traded. I don't see that happening. Again, we're with Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at MMehtaNYDN. So uh, to that point, I-, I think you're right on the contract. It's not a team killer. It's more than you'd want to spend, but it's not a team killer because they can be out of it after the 2020 season. But to that same point, if he didn't want Bell, what about all the other guys that were signed? C.J. Mosley was signed for a big number. How does he feel about that? And obviously some of these players were drafted without his any real input. The scouts were sort of led to distrust Adam Gase. I understand why he felt uncomfortable. It seems like he went about all of this in a very peculiar and precocious manner. But does he like any of these players that were picked or signed beyond Bell? Uh, yeah, he he likes C.J. Mosley. Uh, it's hard not to like C.J. Mosley. The price was yeah. exorbitant. Uh uh, that being said, the Ravens desperately wanted to bring him back and probably would have brought him back if the money was equal. So the Jets knew that they had to go above and beyond. And, and look, we're talking about a few extra million dollars. I know it's not my money, so I don't really care. But in terms of the player along, did Adam Gates want C.J. Mosley? 100%, yes. He he wanted him. So uh, I don't think that that's an issue. You know, The money was too much. We all kind of knew that. But uh, I don't think that'll be a problem. Uh, the bigger question, and the one that you just hit on, I, I think is a terrific point. He didn't really have say in these in these players in the draft. This was a Mike McCagnin production. He he did not challenge any of these picks uh, during the draft. Uh, he he kind of washed his hands before before the draft even began. So much so that he didn't want to be on camera, and he intentionally moved his chair away from uh, Christopher Johnson. It's incredible. So he was not. I've never read anything like that in my life until I read your article. It's incredible that that's yeah, what he did. I mean, it's stunning. It, it, it wasn't, it's not just stunning to you and to me and to, and to anyone reading this from the outside. It was stunning to people in the building, in the room. Forget the building. People in the room thought that was an extreme measure, but he clearly did not want his fingerprints uh 
on any of these guys. And it's a win-win for him because if it doesn't work out for these players, he can always say, hey, I had no doing in drafting these players. And if these players do succeed, he can always take the credit. So he is in a a no-lose situation in that respect. Now, that being said, if these guys don't work out, and I think Quentin Williams will work out, uh, but if the the other guys in this draft class uh, don't work out, they're not going to be long for this team. I don't think that there's going to be a long leash where each of these draft picks is guaranteed uh, three or four years on the roster. If these guys aren't working out in, in a year or two, uh, they could be shipped off because, again, this, these were not guys that Adam Gase picked or was really even involved in during the evaluation process. And part of that fault lies with Mike McCagnin because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, just uh, some of the dynamics in those pre-draft meetings were not necessarily conducive to the head coach giving his opinion. This is really wild when you think about it. All right, so you said uh, Gase wasn't in our, all that thrilled about the draft picks. What about the free agent signings? What about guys like Ty Montgomery, uh, Jameson Crowder? Is he big on those guys? Were those his picks? And what roles do we expect f- from those players? Well, Crowder is an interesting guy because he plays a position that's highly valued in Adam Gase's offense, the slot yes. position. So, so tight ends and slot wide receivers are extremely important. So he's going to play an important role for Adam Gase. If, if you just look at the, the players who he's had in that spot before, he, his relationship with Jarvis Landry didn't end well, but Jarvis Landry was a productive player for him. And clearly Wes Welker during that record-breaking season in Denver uh, had a you know career renaissance, I, I guess, after he left New England for Gase. So uh, Crowder is going to be important. And with Crowder, it always comes down to health. Can he stay healthy? Because if I think he stays healthy, he'll be a player that Adam Gase likes. Uh, Ty Montgomery, look, this is a Swiss Army knife type of depth player, uh, not really uh, an impactful player per se, but a guy who can have a role in this offense. I, you know, he's a guy who say, signed much later in free agency, you know, after the, the huge wave of guys and even the second wave of guys was gone. So, yeah, he's a, a secondary role player. Uh, you know, we'll see how he fits. Uh, but but Crowder to me is a guy who can be successful in Adams uh, in Adams' offense. So. I probably got two more rapid fire questions before you go. One, I can assume there's going to be more organizational changes to come, right? If this scouting staff and he weren't necessarily even communicating, I think that's another issue. And secondly, like how did you feel about the team and the moves that they made before this happened this week? Well, in terms of the get uh, all of the team to have those current scouts not closed out. I think we're losing Manisha's signal. If maybe he's coming back in, we're trying our best to make that happen. Yeah, I got you now. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, I think in terms of turnover, the new general manager is going to be able to bring uh, one or two guys that he really trusts. But by and large, uh, I think any significant turnover in the scouting department in the front office won't happen until after the 2019 season, just because scouts on other teams are not going to be allowed to freely walk away. That that would hamstring other teams. So uh, yeah, I think more significant turnover will happen next year. Uh, and uh, your second question was? Uh, was how did you actually feel about all these moves before the McCagney firing? Did, how, did you feel they did a oh, nice job them. of piecing oh, it together? Yeah. Yeah, I like them, and that's why I don't think that this firing is going to really impact them in 2019 on the field. I think the players they have and the roster they have is good enough to be in the playoff conversation. The bigger question is, 
how does this team perform in the long term? What's the long term vision going to be? Uh, what kind of roster turnover is going to happen after this season? Who are they going to bring in moving forward? But uh, in terms of the product on the field in 2019, I don't think it'll be adversely affected by what happened this week. Good stuff. Well, Manish, I appreciate your time this morning. Uh, I encourage everybody to go read that article and, and everything that Manish uh, reads. You can go find him on Twitter at MMATANYD. And we'll talk to you again soon, Manish. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. So a lot there, George, to talk about. We'll continue to talk about it after the break, but um, really fascinating dynamic that was uh, happening in that building. I, I can't say we've seen much of it. The Bills had some sort of dysfunction a couple of years ago. Remember, they fired Doug Whaley basically on the final day of the draft a couple of years ago. We've seen some other dysfunction. The, the Browns, I'd say, most recently we saw a lot of dysfunction in that building, but John Dorsey appears to have fixed it, and everybody's on the same page moving forward. Now maybe this is the signature moment for the Jets to kind of clean things up. I guess you hope. I mean, but, but it's strange. I don't, try, I don't believe that it'll happen necessarily, but this is the moment. For I mean, it's hard – it's hard to believe it will when you uh, when you realize Gase has never done anything, never truly been successful anyplace else, right? We're still waiting for that and to give him all this control. And as you keep mentioning, uh, you have an ownership who's, you know, stepping in, maybe doing things he doesn't really know about there. And we see that that generally doesn't work. Jerry Jones, Daniel Snyder, owners who get too involved. What's the old saying, Mike? Owners own, GM's GM, coaches coach. That's yeah. generally the way it should be unless you're Bill Belichick. Yeah, the the yeah, it's the only it's the only outlier, and, and the 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 organizational structure where coach and GM both report to CEO is a weird thing that they're equals and like yeah, they should be equals as far. It, it just I don't think it's a structure that's necessarily going to work because Gase is now in charge and he hasn't won anything. Here's here's the one quote I'll leave you with, and then we'll break it down after the break. A current Jets employee about Christopher Johnson, the CEO. He sees the good in everybody. He just doesn't know what he's doing. Sit with that for a couple of minutes. We'll talk about it after the break. 